Lesson 6 for January 31 to February 6. What you get is not what you see. Sabbath afternoon, January 31. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to open your word again into the book of Proverbs and there's so much wisdom and knowledge there and so much advice for daily living. And in reading it, we find more about what you wish for us to do in relation to each other. But also we find what you have for us in relation to you as well. As we open your word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide and bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Let's read that again, Proverbs 14 verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. As Paul has said in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, we see through a glass darkly. We see so little, and what we do see always comes filtered through our own minds. Our eyes and ears, all our senses actually, give us only a narrow view of what's really out there. We can perceive too, not only about the external world, but about ourselves as well. Our dreams, our views and our opinions can give us very distorted images of what we are really like. And of all deceptions, that can be by far the worst. What should we do then to protect ourselves from these deceptions? Proverbs provides us with basic counsel. We should not trust ourselves as the fool does. On the contrary, we should trust the Lord who controls the course of events even when all seems to go wrong. In short, we need to live by faith and not merely by sight because our sight can be exceedingly deceptive, showing only a small portion of what is real, and then, even worse, distorting the little it does show us. Sunday, February 1, The Assurance of the Fool Question. Read Proverbs chapter 14. What does it say about the fool? Beginning at verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to whom who understands. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge." The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favour. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. 
the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. The simple believe every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow before the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous." The poor man is hated even by his own neighbour, but the rich has many friends. He who despises his neighbour sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. Do they not go astray who devise evil? But mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. In all labour there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, to turn one away from the snares of death. In a multitude of people is a king's honour, but in the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honours him has mercy on the needy. The wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death. Wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding, but what is the heart of fools is made known. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favour is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. The fool speaks proudly, we read in verse 3. The first depiction of the fool deals with his proud speech. The image of the rod associated with the fool's lips implies his eventual punishment. His proud words have resulted in a blow on his lips, an outcome that is seen in contrast with the lips of the wise, which are preserved. The fool mocks wisdom, as we read in verses 6 to 9. Although the fool seems to lack wisdom, in fact, he does not believe in it and is sceptical of it. He will not find it because, in his own mind, there is no wisdom apart from himself. Most frightful is his attitude toward violation of the law. What could be more deadly than mocking the idea of sin? The fool is credulous, as we read in verse 15. Paradoxically, while the fool makes fun of those idealists who still believe in the values of wisdom, he has lost his ability to think critically about what he hears. He believes every word. The irony of this situation strikes at the heart of secular society. Sceptical people mock God and make fun of religion, claiming that these beliefs are for children and old people. 
Yet they themselves often believe in some of the most foolish things, such as the creation of life on earth by pure chance alone. The fool is impulsive, as you read in verses 16 and 29. Because the fool believes that he has the truth within himself, he does not take time to think. His reaction will be quick, dictated mostly by impulse. The fool oppresses others, as you read in verses 21 and 31. The mechanisms of oppression and intolerance are suggested in the psychology of the fool. He is intolerant of others and will treat them with contempt, as we read in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. And Daniel speaks more about this in chapter 8, verses 11 to 12. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. So to finish the day, it's easy to see the traits of a fool in others, But what about in our own selves? Which, if any, of these character flaws might you need first to recognise and then seek by God's grace to overcome? Monday, February 2, The Fear of the Wise Question. Read Proverbs 14 again. What does it say about the wise? Well, we've already read it in yesterday's lesson, so we can take that as read. We'll just pick up the points as we go through today's lesson. The wise speak humbly, as we read in verse 3. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. The wise restrain the use of their lips. Their silent reflection is motivated by a lack of arrogant self-assurance. The wise give consideration to the other person's ideas. Therefore, the wise will take time to think through and weigh the evidence. They are also silent because they are listening, ready to learn from others. Point two, the wise value learning and knowledge. As we see in verse six, a scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. And verse 18, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. It is difficult for the fool to learn because it is hard for him to sit at the feet of a teacher. In contrast, It is easy for the wise to learn because of their humility. They will thus enjoy the experience of learning and growing. It is also this search for wisdom, for knowledge that they do not have, which makes them wise. And the third point, the wise are cautious, as we read in verse 15. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. 
The wise know that sin and evil exist. Therefore, they will be careful where they walk. They will not trust their feelings and personal opinions. They will check things out and ask for advice. Yet they will always be careful about what other people say to them. They will sort out the good from the bad, as we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21. Test all things, hold fast what is good. And the fourth point, the wise are calm. Verses 29 and 33. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. And verse 33, wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding, but what is in the heart of fools is made known. The wise can stay quiet because they do not rely on their own ways, but depend on above, as we read in verse 14. It is their faith in God that allows them to relax and exercise self-control, as we read in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15. In the returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. It is the fear of God that gives them confidence, as we read in verse 46 of Proverbs chapter, sorry, verse 26 of Proverbs chapter 14. In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. And point five, the wise are compassionate and sensitive, as we read in verses 21 and 31. 21. He who despises his neighbour sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. And verse 31. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honours him has mercy on the needy. The two commandments, you shall love the Lord your God and you shall love your neighbour, are linked in Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. You can't love God and at the same time treat other people poorly. The greatest expression of our faith is how we deal with others, especially those in need. Mark 12 verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So to finish today, quoting from Our High Calling, page 85, we do not realise how many of us walk by sight and not by faith. We believe the things that are seen, but do not appreciate the precious promises given us in his word. End of quote. What does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight? How are we supposed to do that? Tuesday, February 3, The Eyes of the Lord. Our text for today is Proverbs 15:3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. How does this text make you feel 
and why. In the next two chapters of Proverbs, the tone changes. These chapters are more theological than the preceding ones. The Lord is referenced more often than in previous Proverbs. We are also told something amazing about him, that his eyes are in every place, as we just read. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. That's verse 3. This acute consciousness of the Lord's presence is precisely what the ancient Israelites called the fear of the Lord. The same association is found in the Psalms. In Psalm 33, verse 18, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Likewise, Job describes God as the one who looks to the ends of the earth and sees all that happens under the heavens. Job 28.24 Because of this, Job concludes that the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Job 28.28 This proverb reminds us of God's ability to see good and evil no matter where they are. As Solomon understood in 1 Kings 3.9, true wisdom is the ability to discern between good and evil. On a human level, this awareness should help us to remember always to do good and never evil. For God sees all that we do, even if no one else does. We fool ourselves thinking that because for now we get away with evil, that we really do get away with it. In the long run, we never do. Let us therefore be diligent, for, as it says in Hebrews 4.13, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so, to finish the day, read these three verses. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Isaiah 5.20 Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And Hebrews 5.14 But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What crucial message do these verses have for us, especially in an age when the very concepts of good and evil are often blurred, with people claiming that good and evil are relative, or just human ideas that have no objective existence apart from what we say they are? What is so wrong with such a notion of good and evil, and why is it so dangerous to hold? Wednesday, February 4, The Joy of the Lord Question. Read Proverbs chapter 15. Why is joy such an important human asset? Beginning at verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. 
A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. So, how much more the hearts of the sons of men? A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of the fools feeds on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. A wise man makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counsellors they are established. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. The way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones healthy. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honour is humility. Scripture does not promise us a life without trials. As Jesus himself said, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew 6.34 Proverbs 15.15 explains that amid evil days, the one who maintains a merry heart will have a better time of it. Pain, suffering and trials will come, and often we can't control when and how. What we can control, at least to some degree, is how we choose to respond. Verse 15, All the days of the afflicted are evil, 
but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Question. Read verses 14 and 23. What is God's part in this joy? Verse 14. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. And verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Although the biblical text does not explicitly mention the reason for joy, the parallel thought between verses 13 and 14 suggests that the merry heart is the heart of him with understanding. Let's read verse 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. It is the heart of the one who has faith and sees redemption beyond the immediate ordeal. This is why faith in God is so important. This is why it's so crucial that we know for ourselves, from our own experience, the reality of God and his love. Then, whatever trials come, whatever suffering we face, those with understanding can endure, because they know for themselves God's love. Proverbs 15.23 brings us another important idea. Joy comes more from what we give than from what we receive. It is the good word shared with others that will bring joy to the giver. Let's read that verse. Verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. It is the word, the good word, shared with others that will bring joy to the giver. Who hasn't experienced the blessings that come from blessing others, whether in word or in deed or both? As we have already seen in Proverbs, our words are powerful. They can do great good or great evil. And how much better it is when they do great good, not only for the one for whom the good is done, but for the one who does it. And so to finish today, how well do you know, for yourself, God's love? What are things you could do that could help open up your heart to this crucial truth? Consider how much better life would be if you knew the reality of God's love. Thursday, February 5, The Sovereignty of God We all dream and make plans, and yet things turn out differently, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. The Bible acknowledges the value of human responsibility and freedom, yet the Bible also affirms God's control over the course of events. For instance, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 24, A man's steps are of the Lord, How then can a man understand his own way? And Proverbs 21 verse 31, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. And we could also look at Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 to see that as well. Question. What does Proverbs chapter 16 verse 1 say, and how are we to understand this text? 
The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We prepare and make plans, but the last word still belongs to God. This does not mean that our preparations are worthless, but in the life of faith, if we submit our plans to God, He will work with them, and our plans will be directed, as we read in verse 9 of chapter 16. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And ultimately, establishes him, as verse 3 says, Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Even the work of our enemies will be used in our behalf. Verse 4, The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. And verse 7, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Though these are not simple ideas to grasp, especially when we face difficult situations, they should give us comfort and help us learn to trust God, even when things seem to go terribly wrong and when our plans don't turn out as we hoped. The key point for us is to learn to surrender all to God. If we do that, we can be sure of His guidance, even in the hardest times. Question. Read Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19. What is the place of ambition in human success? Verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. As always, the Bible warns against pride. After all, as fallen beings... What do we have to be proud of? What vice is more contrary to God than pride? The very first sin. Ezekiel 28.17 Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Jesus emphatically taught about the iniquity of seeking to be great. And he urged his disciples to seek humility instead in Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 16 and the last verse, verse 33. What is the place of chance in human success? Verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The Bible does not make room for chance. For even when one thinks that the course of events is dictated by chance, we can trust that God is still in control. So to finish today... As we seek to understand why things happen, how does the reality of the great controversy help us work through some difficult issues regarding why things happen as they do?
Friday, February 6. From the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 720, we read, From the beginning Satan has portrayed to men the gains to be won by transgression. Thus he seduced angels, thus he tempted Adam and Eve to sin, and thus he is still leading multitudes away from obedience to God. The path of transgression is made to appear desirable, but as it says in Proverbs 14.12, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Happy are they who, having ventured in this way, learn how bitter are the fruits of sin, and turn from it betimes. And another quote from the Ministry of Healing, page 521, sorry, page 251. Nothing tends more to promote health of body and of soul than does a spirit of gratitude and praise. It is a positive duty to restrict melancholy, discontented thoughts and feelings, as much a duty as it is to pray. If we are heaven-bound, how can we go as a band of mourners, groaning and complaining all along the way to our Father's house? Those professed Christians who are constantly complaining, and who seem to think cheerfulness and happiness a sin, have not genuine religion. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. Number one, discuss the idea that we have only a limited view of reality. What does this mean? What things are out there that we know are real, yet we just can't sense them in any way? For instance, how many radio waves, cell phone calls, satellite programs, radio programs are in the air all around you right now, and yet you can't see, hear, or feel them at all? How should the existence of such realities help us to understand how limited our senses are? How should this understanding help us to realise the reality of other things that we can't see, such as angels? And question two, why is it important to understand the reality of human free will and free choice, even if God is ultimately in control? Though these concepts, human free choice and God's sovereignty, seem to be in contradiction, both are taught in the Bible. So, how can we reconcile them? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled They Deserve a Chance Too. Locations and names have been changed in this story. They deserve a chance too. When Paul and Christy Brown moved into a less than desirable neighbourhood in Elkins, West Virginia, they didn't know that their home would become a magnet for young people. I've always been youth-focused, says Paul. So when the neighbourhood kids wanted to hang out with our kids at the house, we said, OK, but there are rules. Number one, respect. You will treat yourselves and others respectfully with no swearing and no name-calling. Number two, no lying. You lie to me and it's done. You are out at the door. Number three, health and dietary issues. No drugs, no alcohol, no unclean meat. Once the young people understood about clean and unclean foods, they tried sharing what they had learned with their families. 
The grandfather would be cooking a groundhog, says Paul, but the kids would tell him, no, we're not going to eat that. Before long, the visitors were asking to move in with the Browns. Braden spends every weekend at our house, says Paul. It's his Sabbath retreat and gets him away from his house. During the week, Braden tries to avoid his abusive, alcoholic stepfather as much as possible. Hunter and Wyatt are two others who spend more time with the Browns than at home. Coming from difficult situations, both of the boys feel safe with Paul and Christy, whom they consider to be their surrogate parents. I try to treat all the kids as if they're my kids, says Paul, because they deserve a chance too. That includes providing clothing, bicycles and various other items. Even the vehicle I drive, an extended cab truck, is based on how many kids we're looking after so we can take them to and from school. With parental permission, the Browns have taken Braden and Hunter with them to Pathfinders and to church and are even paying for them to attend the local Seventh-day Adventist church school. Unfortunately, Wyatt's mother will not give permission for him to join in these activities, but for Braden and Hunter, their experience has been life-changing. On November 2, 2013, both boys, along with the Brown's son Peyton, were baptised at the Elkins Seventh-day Adventist Church. "'We've been living here for three years now,' Paul says, "'and my wife really feels that the Lord put us in this neighbourhood. "'It's not where we would have chosen, but we are sure that the Lord has led us here.'" Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.